This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. It's great. So good to be here. Matt said it all, but we, and I just echo um, what he um, said. Um, and I wanted to speak to you about something that has been s- s- burning on me for a number of years. You know when sometimes you have this tension of... Um, Knowing something to be right that's inside of you, but not being able to see it necessarily in um, practice. You're like, what's going on? Where does this burn from? And sometimes we have to do that with God. We have to hold a, f- hold a few things in tension. In the, in the writing of even when Jesus is born, there's three of the Gospels that just go after all the detail, right? They go, um, Jesus was, you know, a baby and, you know, the story of Mary and the donkey. And they hold this tension of Jesus being this real life man, you know, a real life baby that came to earth. And then there's John. And then there's John's version of it, who goes like this. Let me read you what he says about Jesus. The living expression, John 1. In the beginning, the living expression was already there. What? So he's not talking about a baby. He's talking about the story that began the story. You know, he's, he's saying, somebody else can tell you about the, the actual, you know, this, this man, this baby story. I'm going to tell you about the story behind the story. I'm going to tell you how it was supposed to be in the beginning. The power, this, you know, this, um, sometimes, I don't know how you met Jesus. We all meet Jesus in different ways. Sometimes we meet Jesus as a friend. And that's great. And that's a part of Jesus. That's a part of who we need to know him as, a, a real life man that walked the earth. But there's a power to him. Also, there is something that that's more mystical, something that's more like unimaginable, um, something that's unexplainable about him. And John's trying to bring to us this. He's trying to say this. He says, um, the expression was, was, was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. Father, Son and Spirit were face to face. They lived life in community. They had things in common. They lived in unity. They were a whole and complete unit. And it was powerful, so powerful, so amazing that it created the universe. So amazing was that union and that face to faceness, that wholeness, that completeness, that it brought about stars and galaxies. So amazing was that face-to-faceness that it breathed life into the earth itself. So amazing was that union and that face-to-faceness that it changed history forever. So amazing was that union that when Jesus then went back to the Father, it created an eternal life for human beings to be able to access as well. So whatever you believe of the man of God, of Jesus himself, whatever you believe of him, you must hold it in tension that he is also this unexplainable, all-powerful face-to-face with the Father living in community there as well. I don't know where you sit on that, but I just find that mind-blowing. And I actually believe that's a picture of how humanity should live. And I'm here to urge you with a few things this morning. I'm here to... Oh, it's suddenly gone off. It does that sometimes. Excuse me a moment. So I can find it. I'm here to urge you this. Paul says in Ephesians 4, as a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank given to you by in your divine. So I I plead with you as somebody here now today to understand that you have a rank that is not about your humanness. 
It's not about the person that you were made. It's about the spiritual awareness that God has given you, a rank and a calling in life that is more about the eternal and the mystical and the out. Is, is this all right for a Sunday morning in Wales? Yeah? Are we good? Are we good? Because, you know, sometimes we can get so bogged down in the everyday and we see Jesus and we want Jesus to be in the darkest places of our life. And yet it, it sometimes makes us shrink back into this place where we look at it in a human way. And God's saying to us, no, there's a rank and there's a calling on your life that's far more like more powerful to access this thing that created the earth. And when we can be a people of God that understand who we are in him and we understand our rank and also we understand other people's rank, we can live face to face, things in common, and we can have unity together. You have a rank and you have a role. It's vital. There is not one person in here that is not vital to the very earth that you live on and the humanity and the power of presence of God in your life. It is divine, which means that it is out of your control. It's not human. It's, there's a spirit at work inside of you. You are not just a body. You have a body. You are also spirit and you are also soul. These three things work together that mirror that unity, that common unity, the Trinity in the very beginning, Father, Son and Spirit living face to face. It's by design. It's not by default. You are not a default setting. You were not accidentally placed on this earth. Your name was written before the beginning of time because you had and God had a plan for each one of you. And it is essential. Make no mistake. Do not deny it. But you are not um, a non-essential item. You know, like when you have um, shopping delivered in your house. Anybody have like home delivery shopping? Anybody ever had it delivered? Sometimes people like there's this option to select um, alternatives. I don't know what it's called in each of the different shopping trolleys, but there's this option to select and somebody says, you might order something and they might say, well, it wasn't in stock. So we sent you an alternative if you want it. You're not, you're not an alternative. You are on the original shopping list. <laughs> you're on God's original shopping list. Like you're not like an add-on to your life or to your family. He didn't get it in mistake. It wasn't a mix-up, a heavenly mix-up where you ended up in the shopping trolley of your life or the shopping trolley of your family or your workplace or whoever it is. You are essential. It is essential. Your rank and your calling in life is essential. Let me tell you a story um, about a, a, a lady in our church. Um, well, actually, our, our old church now, not our new church, our old church. And um, this is what I call the first response story. And it really helped me to understand about rank and about calling and about who sometimes understands this better than we do in the church. I don't know that we've fully got it yet. I'd love to explore it more, that's for sure. Um, and this lady, she's in her um, late 80s and um, the church that we were at, Bradford, anybody been to Life Church Bradford or at least seen it? It's a big congregation, right? There's, it can see there must have been about 800 people in the room. And this lady sat front row, she always second row, she always sits second row. Her and her very good friend, they're both in their 80s and they come and they're the tiniest people. And they come to the front and they sit and they worship their hearts out. And so um, it was very troubling to all of us one Sunday morning when... Um, when one of the ladies actually passed out in the middle of the service. And quite dramatically, she is okay. She's all right. So I just want you to know the story ends well. But something happened in that moment that absolutely like 
blew me away in terms of this like scripture from Ephesians. Five people responded. In fact, we all looked around like you do, you know, oh my gosh, what's going on? And you're all worried because she's a very well-loved lady in the church. And so five people responded. This was the first person. A midwife responded. A first aider responded. A GP responded. An A&E nurse responded. An ambulance technician responded. And it was amazing to see them go to work, okay? Like, they helped the lady. First of all, they stretched her to the back, and she was fine. She was taken to a private room. And this is what happened. All of those medical professionals who were in that medical world began to understand who had what rank and who had what calling and who was going to be best at what. And the midwife said, hey, I'm out. It's not, my, it's not my area of expertise. She absolutely had the qualification, the expertise to help in a critical situation, but she recognised that there were other people in that group of five who had a rank and a calling that was greater in this particular situation than she had. There was a first aider. In fact, we'll get back to the first aider because they were that, like, I wanted to, like, anyway, I, don't, I won't tell you what I wanted to do to the first aider. There was a GP and the GP fell into, fell into rank. I'm going to relay information. I'm going to be personal with you. I'm going to help you have everything you need. I'm going to get bottles of water. I'm going to make the notes. I'm going to write things down as you would expect a GP to do. And there was an A&E nurse who not just was not just a nurse, but she was also like the nurse that looked after the whole of the A&E other nurses. So she was senior. She was the most senior in that situation. And she deferred to the ambulance technician. She said, you check the vital signs, the vital statistics. You tell me the nature of the patient. You tell me what's going on. And it was a beautiful picture of how a collective of people that understood their area, their field, their rank, their calling, and they helped each other. And the only person who actually wasn't a medical person, the first aider, was the one that kept getting in the way. And I was like watching it play out go, how interesting. The rest of you understand, but for some reason, I'm not, hey, listen, first aid's amazing. I don't want to qualify that, don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to explain to you is because they were the only one not medically trained, not understanding their rank and their calling, but they were on duty. <laughs> so they were like, I'm on duty. I've got to, I should be filling in a form. It's my job. I need, I need to get an accident, an emergency form filled out. I should be calling the ambulance. And we're all going, there's an A&E nurse. There's an ambulance technician. There's a GP. There's a midwife. Just sit and pray or enjoy what, you know, I, I find out what you're doing later. But it was, the, it was the understanding of that coming together. The four of them had something in common and they were bring it to unity. The, the, uh, the first aider thought that they had something in common, but they thought that they knew better. And it created tension. And I think as believers, if we can understand our call and our rank, we can live with things in common, which is the faith. We don't have to be the same and we don't have to think the same, but we do have to love the same and we do have to respond the same. In Genesis 1, it says this, because this is where it gets personal. I'm going to talk about men and women. Okay, but I'm, I need you to know, I like, I am, I, and I am not, I am very much pro um, um, equity and equal rights, but I'm not a feminist. So I'm just going to be up there and out there with you on that straight away. But I am a peopleist. I'm for people. I do understand that there's times when we have to take an area of society that has been marginalized and we have to bring it into common and into unity. So there's times that as people, we do have to focus our attention on things that have gone wrong and help to put it right. That's where I believe. But God created mankind. Listen to this. This is, this is, 
crucial for us to understand as men and women, our rank and our calling, our, com- our thing in common and how to bring unity. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And that's in Genesis 1. Let me read you this from a quote by a lady called Danielle Strickland. The relationship that God established before the fall was non-hierarchical, which means there was nobody, not one of us, man or woman, that was above another. We were equal. We shared things in common and we had unity. We were complementary. We were made to be equal. Let me teach you a little bit more. This is like a man. Listen, it took me ages to get my head around this. So I'm really, really happy to send you this quote afterwards. We're going to move on to another quote now. This is two words that I found that I discovered. And this this is a super quote that I can send you if you want it afterwards. It may surprise English readers. Oh, well, as in English speakers, not just English people. Yeah. Is that all right? Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's just because English like covers everything. That the word Adam in that original text is a neutral term meaning human. When God created man, mankind, in that first text, it was never, it was gender neutral, the language that is used in the original scripture. Just get your heads around that for a moment. Um, there's nothing to suggest in the original Hebrew text that it was anything different. It's only later. And let me read you this screw, this quote. I don't know what I was saying. Not specifically, the, the gender neutral term meaning human, not specifically a man. In the original Hebrew text, all references to Adam are gender neutral until God takes one of Adam's flesh and makes a woman, Isha, in Hebrew. Only at that point is Adam called Ish a man, male, and the Hebrew word Isha hints at her origins from within the Ish, something that we can mimic in English with the words man and woman. Interestingly, Adam is never called Ish until the Isha had been separated from him. It's as if the text is implying that male and female cannot fully define themselves as human without the other. Yeah, I know. I was like, when I read it the first time over, I was like, eh? This is not my quote. This is a lady called Lynn Fox. The complementary between man and woman is inherent in the way that they were taken apart from each other, as if the first issue provides what the ish lacks. In God's design, it is the two together who ultimately reflect the image of God. Let me break this down for you. In the beginning, there was mankind that was a whole complete unit. And God recognized for it to be even more complete that it had to separate out the uniqueness for it to be a complementary in common and in unity. There were two things. So when he talks about it's not good for man to be on his own, in that language is still saying that mankind was never meant to do life in what as one individual, as a whole complete unit, but to separate that off as God did in God Father, God Son and God Spirit. The three were separate, but one whole altogether as well. They had things in common and they were in unity together from the very beginning. So when John is talking to us and he's telling us and he's urging us in John 1 to say, in the beginning was this amazing, life-giving, light, word, man, person, being that breathed life into everything. I really believe he's trying to send us back and he's trying to say, okay, we've a picture so far of humanity that has got us this far, but I want to remind you right back at the beginning that it was never supposed to be about separation. It was never supposed to be about um, hierarchical changes. It was supposed to be about living with things in common and living in unity. 
Male and female, let me take you a little bit further. I really hope I'm not pushing too many buttons for you now. I really hope I'm encouraging you because you know when you know something, it's got you this far and you didn't know what you didn't know before. I feel like this and, you know, there's a time and a season now where there's young women coming through who do not know, who know deep inside this is the truth. There's you women, there's women in this room, you know this is a truth, but you've never had language to express this before. And also there's men here and you've known this is a truth, but you've made an assumption, we've all made an assumption that we understand there's a hierarchical, there's a, in the church especially, that men sit above and women sit below. And no matter how hard we see that, we leave church and we go into the marketplace and we have kids and we know we want to celebrate their greatness and we want to celebrate them and we want to do that, that we come back to church and yet there's a missing link. I really believe this is going to help us with that. Male and female then, they are complementary. They're supposed to be complementary to each other, not just in marriage, but in life. These scriptures are not just about married, married people. When, you, when God puts something at the beginning of the Bible, it's not just to do with one kind of interpersonal relationship. It's to do with mankind in general. They're co-stewards. We're supposed to co-steward the earth. And in actual fact, I think that the language that, in it, that we have learned over the years means that women have stepped back. You're, you have to have responsibility to enter into your right and your calling but it is a crowded bus as well and some men need to be able to actually create space I don't know about you but when I watch a train go by or when I watch a full bus go by the last thing I want to do is to elbow into that busy full bus anybody else feel the same I want somebody to make space for me to get on I want somebody to step out of the way and say, hey, let's move down so that person can get on. And when one kind of person has occupied a space for so long, we have to, as the church, change that and be able to make space for people to think differently because what we knew got us this far, but what we now know needs to take us even further. Both are made in his name. I'm going to move on to the next slide. So male and female say this. Both are vitally important. Are you catching me up, Lee? There, are you all right? Both are vitally important. Are we stuck? Don't worry. Don't worry, you have to look at me and not at that. Something might come up there at some point, but look at me instead. Uh, both are different expression, though. They had things in common, and they were in unity, but each Father, Son, and Spirit had a different, different, like, um, different um, expression to the world. Both are equal in authority. So important for us to be able to grasp that and take that. In Genesis 2, then, it says this. Let's move the scripture on. The Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Hey, how many of you have heard that scripture before? Many of you maybe not brought in church, church haven't. Thank God you haven't heard that because it has been the undoing, I believe, of many, many like relationships within the church for too many years because these words do not mean what we think they mean in the way that they are. Helper that is suitable for him. There's been a detour because our contemporary language does not fit the original meaning. Suitable helper. Can I break it down for you? Can I, is that all right? Yeah, good. Help. Yeah, there's Karis. Where is she? She's up there somewhere. And I don't know this lady, but they, these were lovely photos. I nicked them off your Instagram. 
Okay, let's look at the word help or helper. Help can refer to a simple modest act, which is maybe how you've placed yourself or maybe men in the room. You've read that scripture and you've assumed that that's what a woman's role is because, hey, listen, that word means something different to us than the original text, so I can understand why. I believed that as well. But the Genesis context refers to something more vital and something more significant. I asked a group of teenage girls what they thought the word helper meant and, and it was heartbreaking because this is what they came back with. But what's even more heartbreaking was I agreed because I'd believed that as well. And what was even more heartbreaking was is that most of the women that I have ever met that grew up in church believed this too. An assistant, that the word helper means assistant. It might mean supporter or behind the scenes. What else, what else do you think it might mean, the word helper? Participate. What does it, what does it conjure up to you? Somebody who supports... What else might it mean? Like a maid, like a servant, helper. Oh, I know. That word, like even though, even though you don't want to believe that, when you read that word in our contemporary language, that's what we believe. Somewhere in our psyche, that's what we believe. And that's why it's really hard. And that's why inside there's so many women and so many young women and so many young girls who know that that's not what they are or what they're called to do. But the word, this word keeps saying, yeah, but I'm a helper. Yeah, but the God says I'm a helper. And then in, in, in churches, we have taught ourselves, maybe not verbally, but our nonverbal communication, which is like 90% or something of who we are, we can nonverbally communicate. It says helpmate. It says maid. It says second. It says sidekick. It says co-worker. That's what our contemporary language is. But that was never the meaning of the writer. This is what the word means. In Hebrew, the word for helper used in Genesis 2 is the word Ezer. And Ezer is always and only used in the context of this. Vitally important, powerful acts of rescue and support. I mean, how did we get helper from that word? <laughs> it's like bonkers. In so the word means this, vitally important, powerful acts of rescue and support. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more about helper. There's only 21 uses of it in the whole Bible, but it was a commonly used word in, of the time. Two refer to Eve, which is woman. Three stay unnamed, so we don't know what that is. 16 of that word describe God. <laughs> so let's go 21 uses two refer to Eve three stay unnamed 16 describe God the same word that is used to describe God describes woman I'm like brap come on the girls you know like you know like you feel this and, and like listen 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 that's why that's why women tend to rise up like that like girl power because they know it's on the inside but they've just never been taught it from the word of God so they don't know how to use it in common and in unity and what we see is an uprising of women that are desperate to make their mark and desperate to see their power like um exposed and, and welcomed but they do it in a way that's difficult and it do it in a way that pushes us separate and God wants us to be in common and in unity as the trinity was let me go back to Lynn Fox because she's ace on this topic Nowhere in the Bible does he even suggest that helper only applies to those needing guidance. Whether wives, trainees, or small children, quite the contrary, when God says helper, he refers to someone with great skill like himself. Girls, you should be walking with your shoulders back right now. I didn't put it in here, actually, but interestingly, 
So woman suitable helper means powerful source of strength. Do you know how interesting this is? Um, is that actually the word for man, some of the root words for man, actually mean powerful source of strength. So woman means powerful source of strength to be able to bring help and aid and refuge. Powerful strength from man means to be able to bring protection, fathering, strength, work. Two very different uh, like expressions, but two very similar things that are in common, and they bring us unity. Genesis 1 tells us this, that... Um, this is another quote for you. If you're not even believing me, you've got to believe other people because they've done the research too. It tells us that both men and women were given the same authority and had the same status at creation. No one man or woman was given authority over another person. There is no hint of, gender, of any gender hierarchy or difference in status among humankind but before sin entered the world. Suitable helper. It gets even better. Can I tell you where we've all gone wrong as well? Even me. Is that all right? I'm not telling you off, though. Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Okay, suitable. Help her. I know that face. Do you know that face? Is she? Oh, look. <laughs> the word suitable. I mean, what does it conjure up in your mind? What does suitable mean to you? Appropriate. Yeah, suitable. Okay. Yeah. What else do you think it means? Padam. Competent, yeah, yeah, suitable, yeah, suitable for the job, suitable for the role. Um, any other? Acceptable. Acceptable. I know, right? Oh, my gosh. Like, we've been believing for years that women are acceptable sidekicks, <laughs> suitable co-workers, you know, um, helpful maids, you know, all of this stuff. Whether, we, whether we've said that out loud... Our English language <laughs> has given us an impression that we have adopted in a culture that has basically underpinned our cultures and churches for far too long. And I really hope that I can be here to tell you, to call on you for your rank and your calling, for you to understand and for you to waymake for other people as well. Suitable means this, because it doesn't mean, guess, I mean, guess what? It doesn't mean what? doesn't mean those things. The original word means this. It means an equal match, as in suited and able. I am a good, I have good ability to sit with you. It also means like a sparring partner. And how do sparring partners work? Face to face. Have you ever done sparring? Joust like that, you know, the little knife thing. What are they, what they call? Sword. You know what I mean? Fencing. Thank you. I can remember the word. Fencing. <laughs> And you fence and you spar and you're like all oh, like your box sparring and you always have somebody that's either slightly better than you or can help you. The point is, it's that it's a back and forth and it's a shared experience. It also means suitable means to be face to face. Lynn Fox goes on further in her quotes and she says, here's where suitable comes in. This word actually means opposite, not opposite as in adversarial, but opposite in the British sense. Standing face to face, positioned across from someone so that we're able to see them, so that we can be aware of them as aware as God is of us. When you face somebody and you look them in the eye, it is very difficult to be adversarial. It is very difficult to be separated. It is very difficult to break unity. It's very difficult to, to not be kind and towards them and to see them face to face when you can see the face to face. Language is developed face to face. Discussions happen face to face. Life happens face to face. 
In Christ in Galatians, it says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female because we are all one in Christ. So the goal is this, to function as a complete unit. Our goal as believers is to emulate as much as possible Jesus. And not just the man of Jesus, which is what I started with, but the all-powerful, like, in, you know, like Jesus that is part of the three. The three face-to-face that have that humanity, but also the power, that, that power that breathed all life in. We need to be complementary. We need to be not in competition. So we're to spar, but not because I want to win or you want to win, but we spar because I want you to win and you want me to win. Not in factions, not separating off into small groups that try and like overturn power on somebody else. A small group of women who try and gain power or a smaller group of men that try and resist and retain power. Embracing uniqueness and celebrating differences. This is how it works in a complementary way. We face one another. Can I get somebody up to do this? Yeah, come on, we'll have a, we'll have a, and we'll have a guy as well. Come on, we'll have a guy. Come on. <laughs> so we're gonna fa- so you're gonna stand side side, and then we're gonna face one another, and you're gonna co-labor together. You don't have to do anything; you just have to stand there. So, as a, using your strength. Women's powerful source of strength, men's strength in service to others. That is the original design. So how does this work? You can sit down for a minute, but I'm going to call you back up. So how does this actually, actually work? Okay. Three ways that we can live life and we can choose and we make choices as human beings that have been identified. Either to be codependent, relying solely or dependent on others to meet our needs for significance or feeling or driven to meet others' needs for acceptance. So we don't know where I start and where you end, which it's messy. Codependency is like, you have to do everything for me and then I feel responsible to do everything for you and we're not really separate and unique and understanding who we are. We're one complete unit, but we're also not helpful and healthy for each other. Independent, which is currently where I think we find ourselves in this, this journey, this, this like um, tussle, this argument, this situation that we find ourselves in men and women trying to live independent. If one thing or person is independent of another, they're separate, not connected. So the first one is not affected or influenced by the second. I'm going to do my thing over here and you're going to do your thing over there because it's way too complicated and messy for us to meet in the middle. But a godly, I believe, like model of community in the church is interdependent. Interdependence is mutual. It says, I choose to rely on you for my needs to be met. But it can only be in place if on the reciprocal side, the other person is saying, I choose to depend on you for my needs too. It's a mutual understanding of who we are. Sally Augustine says this, when people grow up in cultures that value independence, they expect to be alone more than people from independent cultures. Not only are people from interdependent cultures more responsive to sharing spaces, they are also more likely to share other resources than members of cultures that prize independence as the church. It is our language, isn't it, built around community. It is our language, but unless we tackle some of the reasons that put obstacles in pushing us separate and further apart, we are not going to be able to bring people into commonality and common unity. Being interdependent 
is this. We choose to depend on each other for our needs. We way make for each other. I make a way for you and you make a way for me. We, it's a shared experience. We proactively look for opportunities to remove obstacles and make for unity. We recognize our, our, our first and others rank and calling and we allow space for that. We don't act like the first aider who thinks they know everything in a situation. We find out what the expertise is, where somebody is ranked, what they're good at, what they know, what their expertise is, what their knowledge is. And we share that wisdom in a way. So if somebody is gifted in leadership, we defer to their leadership. If somebody is gifted in administration, we defer to them for administration. If somebody is gifted in sharing the word of God, we defer to them for that it's an understanding it's a shared thing we celebrate uniqueness Jesus the man of the hour <laughs> he did this he totally rewrote cultural laws all the time you look at the bible and people say yeah but the church has got it wrong I'm like yeah absolutely the church has got it wrong the people of God have got it wrong they have not lived with Jesus in mind they didn't have that they had rules and regulations and they broke them and God gave them more things and he gave them the ten commandments which was the perfect picture of unity if you look at them we look at them as rules but God says this these first five that are about me and you and if you get them right, the next five are about you and other people. And then if you get them right, that's harmony. <laughs> that, the Ten Commandments, if you read them, they're the most perfect, utopious life you could have. They were not supposed to be that, but humanity got it wrong and Jesus came again. And he showed no hierarchy over men and women. You must read this for yourselves because it's so important that you understand this. He broke every cultural law. He rewrote them on the spot to embrace and liberate women and men and those that have been trapped in slavery. He broke them to liberate women and he taught and included men and women in mission, not just men. Now, I've had it said to me, so why did Jesus choose 12 disciples that were all men? <laughs> As if women were not that, if, if women are as important. And I said, well, if you go on that basis, you all have to be Jewish as well because they were all Jewish men. So what, how, how far are we going that? In actual fact, Jesus needed those men to speak into the time that they were in, but alongside that, because they, they were speaking to the Jewish people because his time had not come to spread out to that. And when he began to go into the other places, he began to enlist the help of all kinds of people from all different walks of life. Read it. Read the life of Jesus. Do not just let a preacher on a Sunday tell you about the life of Jesus. Read about him. There's never been a time more able to access documents and writings and understandings of who this man is that is the basis of our faith. If we assume that Jesus did not see women as co-laborers, then at some point we should assume that the Holy Spirit gives lesser gifts to women and to non-Jews as well. And whether we like it or not, sometimes, again, our English language allows us to put filters that makes because things are too complicated and too difficult to talk about. Ephesians says this, you were called, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction to stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all and works through all and is in present in all and everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. I suppose what I would want to leave you with this morning is that is a challenge for you to explore where have you allowed that in your own life and where have you allowed that in um, the lives of others, in your children, 
in your relationships at work, in your peer relationships, because this is what it should look like. Can I have my two volunteers back? Is that all right? You can play. I have my two volunteers here. See, this is what this is what we think it should look like, and this is often what we do. So stand facing there. So this is what we think it looks like: is that I am a complete unit, and I am who, and and we talk about purpose, don't we? And destiny, and you, you know, you're this individual, and we're going to celebrate you. And in actual fact, there's a massive like wave in terms of parenting of like um, of actually celebrating this uniqueness and oneness. You can be whatever you want to be. You can go wherever you want to go. You can live whatever life you want to live. You can just reach for your dreams. All this language that is permeating our culture. And although I love and celebrate the fact that we are um, empowering our young people and our children to behave like that that's not actually what Jesus says in his word he says the goal is to become more like Christ the goal is to reflect father God to the world and not because God is obsessed with himself but because he knows that that is the only way that he will bring us to things in common and in unity you know when we reflect father God in his pureness in his goodness in his love in his affection in his wisdom in his that that, that all-powerful that sometimes we don't know how to access. It looks differently like this when you live in unity, you see. We're supposed to stand face to face. And um, like sparring. And we're supposed to bring our strength in service. If you move it on to Ephesians, anybody heard that text where it talks about submitting to one another? Husbands, lay down your lives as Christ laid down his life for the church. Wives, you must submit to your husbands. Again, the root language, I haven't got time to go. It's a whole other preach in itself, but it means this, to lay. For the women, it actually means to put down your weapons. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like submit, yeah, put, put, girls, put the gun down, okay? You know you've got powerful words. You know you've got powers of manipulation. You know you've got powers to overcome, if you get your own way if you want it. You know you've got, like, powers that be. And men, you know you can be a bit of a bully. You know you can overbear things with your strength. You know, you can intimidate other people. But this is the image that God's creating. If we live face to face and we bring in our strength and service and we both take the posture of submission, which is how God intended it. So men to lay their lives down for their wives. Again, let's not think about this in relationship of just husbands and wives now. This is man and woman working together. Could you kneel for me? Is that all right? But face Karis. Okay. Man, you laid down your life for the women around you because that's what Christ did for the church and in his headship he became a servant to all so his headship wasn't about bringing rules and regulations his headship was about serving and about laying his life down so he would way make he would way make for the people around him and then women you're supposed to submit the same posture to put down your weapons Put down your weapons and bring your strength in service to others. So your words that are powerful, they bring change. Your approach to life that is the ability to read into situations that nobody else can. Your coaching abilities that make things better. To way make for each other. So when we have these things in common and when we are in unity and the church is able to exhibit this behavior, the people of God exhibit this behavior, this will be something our country and our nation has never seen before. That there is not separated factions, but there is people of God that have things in common 
and that they have things in unity. Thank you so much. I am so grateful to God that he has 